What's up, everybody? How's it going out there in the internet wrestling community land and everywhere streaming on your favorite podcast streaming service? It is me. It is me, the big old Stevie C, kicking it with you on a Sunday afternoon. Your host of the Heel and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to news, information, and commentary about the world of professional wrestling, brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. As you can tell, big show, big show. I know I haven't been with you. You guys have had a best of the last couple of weeks, and I know you're still reacting to it. Thank you very much for reacting to it on the Facebook page or wherever I social media. But it's here. The streets is talking. The kids are all abuzz about it. It's on the Twitters. It's on all over Viral Nationwide. You want it. You love it every year. You cannot live without it. It is the Heel and Face Awards. That's right. The Heel and Face Awards are awards that are arbitrarily given out by me with a little bit of your input, of course, because I love you, the fans, but a little bit of your input. I see what you see. I think what you think. And I am going to go with my opinion anyway. So, again, this is totally arbitrary and it is totally... Um, what I've seen, what I've witnessed, what I've noticed, what I personally know of. If there is a person that didn't get nominated, a tag team, a promotion, whatever uh, wrestler or personality didn't get nominated in these categories of which I speak on today, then let me know. If you're mad out there, if you don't think I know what I'm talking about, if there's a guy who was tearing it up, if there is a female rookie that just jumped on the scene and I needed to talk about her, then you let me know. Because this is, again, this is my wheelhouse. This is totally what I witnessed this year, what I consumed as a professional wrestling fan and commenter and uh, analyst, so to speak. So you tell me what's good out there. You tell me what's going on. Um, because we learn from each other. The whole goal of a show like this is to be interactive, right? Is to be one with the fans where the fans can tell me, you guys can tell me what you like, and I can tell you what I like, and we can have a healthy discussion and conversation about it. So if I messed up, if I miss somebody, if you don't think I know what I'm talking about, well, all you need to do is just look me up on all my social media. That's right. It'd be a perfect time for me to tell you about where I am. All you need to do is go to your favorite social media platform and just look up Heal and Face Podcast, and I'm right there, baby, nationwide. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Minds, Locals, which I think is becoming Rumble exclusively now. I'm everywhere. I want to be where you guys are. And if you can find me and be there, cool. It's all the better for all of us. But yes, of course, my main hub is on Facebook, and I'm here with you at 5 o'clock every Sunday afternoon. So definitely join me wherever you are. Or if for some reason you can't and you enjoy the dulcet tones of my voice while you're driving, while you're at work, when your boss thinks that you're listening to uh, him or her, but you're not, you've got your Bluetooth in and you're listening to my podcast uh, please follow me on any of the major 
podcast streaming services like Spotify and Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts. Follow me wherever I go. Shout out to everybody in Virginia if you're still listening. Shout out to everybody in Australia. Shout out to everybody in Ireland if you're listening. Uh, those are where I'm getting most of my uh, fans from, and I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you that listen to me live, but definitely check me out on Facebook or on any of my social media as well. Why waste time? As Polonius from Hamlet once said, brevity is the soul of wit, and begin at the beginning, and we shall. So let's get right to it. It is the Heal and Face Awards. Hashtag Heal and Face Awards is coming at you on Twitter. So I'll be breaking all of the winners all for the rest of the evening and Monday morning. So again, if you want to notify the winners somehow, that would be awesome. If you want to interact with me on Twitter saying why I chose this particular person, this particular wrestler, this particular tag team, then you know what? It's open for debate. So let's get right to it, man. Let's go to the uh, Heel and Face Podcast Award for Tag Team of the Year. Now, again, this is my wheelhouse, right? If there's a team out there that you think is really killing it and you want to let me know, then uh, then please do. And there were, honestly, I had a hard time coming up with this list because this list was pretty top-heavy. And then it fell apart real quick as far as there's – I was scraping uh, together – teams that you know just i had looked at or i had i had i had to rack my brain to think about um how successful uh, some teams were because let, let's be honest this was a down year for uh tag teams and even though you see quite a bit of them it's kind of like only one barely stood above the rest only because the matches they were in were really good. So if you can see a nominees, you can see the Usos, part of the bloodline. You can see FTR, the current triple A heavyweight tag team champions. You've got Finn Juice, who after leaving Ring of Honor and participating in New Japan Strong in the World Tag League, came back to Impact of all places and not only dethroned the Good Brothers to win the Impact Wrestling Tag Team Championship, but also held them off, unfortunately, to lose them 65 days later to uh, Violent by Design. But the fact that Finn Juice was able to win and defend the belts seems pretty impressive to me, plus all their work in New Japan and New Japan Strong. You've got the Lucha Brothers, who were in arguably one of the best matches of the year. We'll talk about that later on in the show. You've got uh, a first, because this is the era of being first to do something. So this is the first tag team to not only feature father and son uh, in the WWE, but also the first father and son team to win the WWE Tag team belts, the Mysterios, obviously. And you know what? I just threw it out there. I just threw it together because I am happy for the both of these two wrestlers. But 
congrats to Tamina and Natalie for winning the women's tag team championship when they had it because congrats to Tamina for her first belt finally after what 15 years in WWE uh, with off and on pushes and whatnot she should have been a monster heel but she wasn't and because uh, well reasons you know obviously uh, Vince doesn't know what he's doing and he doesn't have a real good reason to get rid of Tamina but he doesn't have a good one to keep her around either so she finally got a major belt in WWE and Natalia you know Natalia is she is what she is she's extremely loyal um, she loves WWE, so you know for her to uh, win the belt, it's kind of like a thank you for her run as well. But after a close deliberation, I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't really like a no brainer because I did try to like analyze everybody's season, and originally I wanted to give this to Finn Juice just because. Uh, they finally won a, a major belt in uh, in North America and finally cracked uh, the uh, cracked the ceiling, as it were, to be um, relevant in, in North America. I also really wanted it to go to FTR because of their work building themselves back up after being caught in the pinnacle and really having the match of the year with or one of the matches of the year with the uh, Lucha Brothers in the steel cage. But I uh, had to give it after consideration, uh, had to give it to the Lucha Brothers. So congratulations to the Lucha Brothers on being the Heel and Face podcast tag team of the year. Uh, not only uh, had they won the belts this year in AEW, they also put together probably two of the best matches of their careers two of their best matches of their lives in AEW after languishing so, after going from terrible angle to terrible angle, dark triangle, getting in the, this quagmire of, hey, we're all Hispanic, right? With, uh, with uh, Eddie Kingston to fighting Eddie Kingston to all the ridiculous BS that they've been put through to come out not only on top, but also win the uh, AEW uh, tag belts and uh, have good matches, which was very rare for them at this point. Having uh, good matches in AEW wasn't happening for a while. To not only have one with FTR in the cage, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, to uh, actually uh, beat the the Young Bucks for the belts um, was pretty impressive. So good for the Lucha Brothers. They are the winners of this year's Tag Team of the Year. Um, next category, hold on again, as you all know, I fly solo on this deal and I have to produce it myself. So we are just going to go as quickly as I can to set up the next category. But the next category, um, I think I'm going to change this category for lots of different reasons. Um, one of them is. Honestly, it's pretty hard to determine like a rookie. Uh, you know, what, what what constitutes a rookie? Someone who just started professional wrestling or someone who just got on the scene? You know what I mean? Like there could be somebody who is killing it right now who has never wrestled before in their lives. And they could be blowing it up on the independence or to be honest, the performance center. 
so what do you consider a rookie then? Do you consider a rookie in professional wrestling their first year, their first match where their tights and boots don't match and they – uh, the reason why they're all sweaty is because they were on the ring crew and just finished setting up the show before uh, before the actual show started, or someone who's fresh out of the performance center but has an does an amazing job uh, in the ring. I mean, what level of performance? What level is it? Because again, because I haven't seen them, so I think I just want to change this. I'm going to change this officially next year to newcomer of the year. Because there's also the possibility that you might have a newcomer, a hot, fast riser in professional wrestling who has only caught our attention recently but may have only been uh, wrestling for uh, maybe five, six years, so not necessarily a rookie. And this is the case in point. So for the nominees for the Heel and Face Award for Rookie of the Year, you have Roxy, who exactly proves my point. She had been wrestling with... Reality of Wrestling and other wrestling organizations since she was 15, 16 years old. She made her official debut when she was 18. So technically, she's been wrestling for about four years. She's 20 now. She's 20 now. And think about it. She has skyrocketed. Like, we're not, we're talking like teleported Star Trek hyperdrive warp speed into... The national picture. Within two years, Roxy went from, wow, she's pretty cool. Who's she? To now currently the what might be final ROH women's champion and looking very promising to be a staple in the MLW women's featherweight division. And to be honest, the only other three that are in there are just because they came through the performance center. I put both Creed brothers up here. And of course, Braun breaker again, rookies in the true sense of the word, Roxy is not a rookie, but as far as being up into a major promotion, she could be considered a rookie. Whereas these three guys are just fresh out of the performance center. I mean, these guys aren't even doing like the coconut circuit in Florida. So the three of these guys, Julius Creed, Brutus Creed, I can't tell the two apart. I do know uh, the one, uh, the bigger one, the thicker one is actually from a local college here just down the road from me, Otterbein University, where he was a NCAA champion for like Division Three wrestling. And his brother, the taller, uh, more gangly one, uh, went to Duke to wrestle. Uh, speaking of the last nominee, Braun Breaker. Again, we know the story of Braun Breaker, the wink and the nod uh, to the Steiner line. Pardon the pun. But he's really good. So it's hard to deny. And it's that's the other thing, too. Like, I, you know my attitude on... Uh, Ring of I'm not Ring of Honor. You know my attitude on NXT. You know how upset I am that NXT is where it is, the state of where it's been and where it is now, and um, why they're pushing Braun Breaker and guys like the Creed Brothers. But to be honest, I want to hate them, and yet I can't. Especially Braun Breaker. I can't hate Braun Breaker. So just by default and sheer ignorance of me not knowing anybody else, the winner of the Rookie of the Year, the category that will be changed next year, the Rookie of the Year for the Heel and Face podcast is 
Braun Breaker. So congratulations to the big bad booty nephew, as I've seen he might be referred to. He looks like his dad and talks like his uncle. Uh, he's got a 143% chance of becoming the next NXT heavyweight champion. Um, with all the turmoil happening in NXT right now, plus Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly seemingly officially leaving the promotion, pretty much since Champa is the only old person around, and who knows what the status of Samoa Joe is with the company. But this is the direction that they want to take NXT. They just want it to be Raw and SmackDown lights. They don't want it to have that feel, that vibe, that cool uh, aura of actually being a wrestling program as opposed to a corporate crap show. So Braun Breaker is good despite his surroundings and despite the organization. And who knows, maybe NXT will turn it around, but I have no faith. But at least they're grooming Braun Breaker to eventually be WWE champion within the next three to five years. And NXT is a good place to do it. So congrats to Braun Breaker, the Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year is a good indicator that you're going to be around for a long time, that you're going to be involved in the business in different ways. But going through the PC is not the only way to get involved in a feud or to get involved in the world of professional wrestling. Um, you can also, which is what this new era of being a fan is doing, you can also involve yourself in an angle. Sure. Why not, right? Um, there's been a lot about um, involving yourself in the business lately. And I don't generally know how I feel about it because, you know, on one hand, you seem like a mark. But in, on the other hand, too, if it's funny and it uh, makes sense, then um, why not go ahead and do it, I guess. So uh, this is definitely the year of the fan or the super fan or the journalist being involved and taking, taking the business and making it personal. So we have non-wrestlers being involved in the major feuds of the year. So I'm going to go ahead and go to the next category, the Heel and Face podcast. Feud of the year. Now, the feud of the year uh, was, uh, was again, a strange category because it involved a lot of the feuds, a lot of the great wrestling feuds this year involved wrestlers and non-wrestlers. As you can see, I've got a picture of Dragunov versus Volter, Dragunov Volter 2. And that feud was an extension of last year's feud. I know it kind of bled over. I know they didn't fight each other again until uh, August. I think it was uh, for, uh, Walter Dragunov won for WWE fans was I think October and they fought each other again later uh, in 2021. So I did kind of include it. Uh, I know my timing at the end of the year is a little off and a little early from last year, but that, it is what it is. 
Uh, you've got Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre because I had to throw another wrestler versus wrestler feud in there. And again, if you have a feud of the year that you'd like to talk about or mention, please go ahead and do it on my social media pages. But the two most interesting feuds in professional wrestling this year had nothing to do with wrestlers versus wrestlers. The first one had to do with Sirius XM satellite radio personality host of the busted open radio show, Dave LaGreca and his ongoing struggles with Thunder Rosa of all people. This feud spanned an entire year. It started with, if my understanding of this is uh, a, a misunderstanding, which ended up getting blown out of proportion, which included a conversation, a a heated discussion on his radio show and continued on social media between the two of them, both cutting promos on each other, Thunder Rosa cutting promos on Dave LaGreca the most and challenging him, challenging him. Uh, he had planned a you know uh, anniversary getaway or something with his wife in San Antonio. It just so happened to be a weekend where Mission Pro was having an event in San Antonio. You know, go figure the odds are there. Uh, to which he finally uh, confronted Thunder Rosa and challenged her to a match, which he promptly lost uh, and got his shirt ripped. And then it's been continuing throughout the year. Most recently, the viral video going where Dave just so happened to be at an indie show that Thunder Rosa was working. It must have been at a brewery. It must have been somewhere uh, that uh, warehoused a lot of cans because uh, as Dave LaGreca was kind of hanging out in the back of, the, of Thunder Rosa's match and not really paying attention, Thunder Rosa took it upon herself to full sprint from outside of the ring and spear Dave LaGreca through a stanchion of beer cans. I don't think this feud is over anytime soon, but it is interesting that it doesn't involve another wrestler only to possibly be outdone by the longstanding feud between MJF, Malcolm Jacob Friedman and his parents, especially his mother, poor mother, Nina Friedman on Twitter. As you know, the AEW uh, promotion has been trying to focus a lot on the Northeast, whether it's a direct attack on WWE and Vince McMahon or not, I could care less. Just book your show wherever you want to book your show uh, and don't try to um, sugarcoat it in any way. But you've got MJF bringing signs to AEW shows. The first one was, we're MJF's parents and we think he sucks too, which they've been going back and forth on Twitter about. And the latest one that she brought to an AEW taping just recently in Long Island was MJF, the last time our son wasn't a... Um, derriere hole, so to speak. I try to keep this podcast PG and able for families to listen to. So you can imagine, of course, he's practically disowned them and called them leeches and scumbags and blah, blah, blah. Because that's what you do when you're the biggest heel in the world and you really don't care and you're not necessarily living the gimmick because the gimmick is you. Um, you feud with your parents openly just to get heat. But 
as interesting as that feud is, that feud paled in comparison to the only feud that was consistently interesting all year and also an indictment about fandom and how things are going in the professional wrestling business right now. The winner of the Heel and Face Feud of the Year Award is Dave LaGreca versus Thunder Rosa. So it isn't like journalists and wrestlers haven't been mixing it up ever. This one just went so long and so out of control and so heated and so consistently good that it puts the wrestler versus journalist uh, angle kind of at a whole new level. Yes, I remember uh, when uh, Justin Labar, shout out to Justin Labar, uh, was feuding with various members of uh, Pro Wrestling Revolution, Pro Wrestling Ohio. I remember even a time where Justin Labar uh, was a heel um, matchmaker. So I remember all of the other times wrestling journalists have gotten involved. Um, again, uh, one of the most famous deathmatch wrestlers in Japan uh, was a photographer at first. And it doesn't take long. Heck, even Jim Cornette was a ring guy and a and a, a, a photographer before he actually became a manager. So it's not like this isn't going to happen before. And it's not like it's never going to happen again. This one was just interestingly enough, one, because it was very expansive and very complicated. And the two sides still can't stand each other. But the other side, too, is the sadder side. That in a world where journalists are uh, wrestling journalists are giving out stars to their best friends um, and overblowing their own uh, goofy rating system in a time where uh, even the wrestling itself, the characters or the storylines are so average at best that it takes a journalist and a professional wrestler to show pro wrestlers how to have a feud. So congratulations, though, to Dave LaGreca and Thunder Rosa for winning the Heel and Face Award for the Feud of the Year. Uh, may it continue into next year, and let's see the better person win. Well, that brings us to just about halfway through today's show. So what I'm just going to go ahead and do is I'm going to take a very brief break. But when we come back, we are going to talk about the other great categories, we're going to talk about the female wrestler of the year, the male wrestler of the year, and the promotion of the year. So stick around. I'll be back in a couple of seconds. See you in a bit. All right, everybody. It's me. It's me, the big old Stevie C, Steve Castellanova coming at you with the Heel and Face Awards. That's right. It's the episode where I arbitrarily give out my suggestions on the best of the best of this year. And I asked for your help a little bit and didn't get a whole lot of response. But hey, you know, it's cool because uh, I'm going to do a better job promoting it so you guys can do a better job responding to it. And I'm on the Heal and Face podcast a podcast dedicated to news, information, commentary, and award shows. 
based on the best of professional wrestling this year, brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. So, speaking of Heel Turn Wrestling, we got a really good thing going, baby, as the great 90s pop alternative rock star Matthew Sweet would say. And if you want to support us in any way, you can definitely do it monetarily because we dig money. Even though this is the best fan-oriented, fan-driven professional wrestling talk network on the interwebs, we still need your support as well. We would love for you to buy a shirt. Why not go to ProWrestlingTees.com backslash heel turn wrestling and go to our store? I mean, it wouldn't hurt, would it? I mean, I'm sure they love the idea of the clicks. Plus, you can take a look at all of our cool gear. Start the new year with new gear. Go into this holiday season flexing the most fun, the sharpest looking professional wrestling t-shirts not made for professional wrestlers. You can get Billy Alexander's t-shirt. You could get Alcoholic Adam's t-shirt. You can rock the brand by getting the heel turn wrestling shirt. Or you can get the flyest, drippiest t-shirt on ProWrestlingTees.com, the heel and face podcast t-shirt. It's so good. I'm wearing one right now. So go ahead and go to ProWrestlingTees.com backslash heel turn wrestling. That's ProWrestlingTees.com backslash heel turn wrestling. So there you go. Now let's get right to it. Um, feuds are great, but matches are probably the reason why we pay attention to professional wrestling. So let's get right to the match of the year. Now, despite how depressing WWE has been, there have been some really good matches coming out of WWE. So again, uh, the millionaire who could be a billionaire falls over himself again. And despite terrible booking and despite, uh, despite all of the uh, firings and all of the releases and whatnot from WWE, they were able to pull together two pretty good matches. Unfortunately, these two matches happened at the beginning of the year, but there was a lot of other good matches going on in other promotions as well. So let's talk about them. So you've got the a nominee for feud of the year, Dragonoff versus Volter for the uh, number two for the UK WWE belt, which uh, Dragunov eventually won. You got the finals of the G1 over in New Japan, which kind of ended a little anticlimactically, even though it was a good match up until the point where um, – Ibushi got injured again, which is kind of a broken record for those of you who remember what records are. But it was uh, Ibushi versus Okada. And even though we've seen that movie before, it was still pretty amazing up until when Ibushi got injured. Speaking of WWE, going back to the WWE with uh, Reigns, I'm sorry, not Reigns, uh, Seth Rollins versus Cesaro at WrestleMania. Uh, a match that some people, even I, admitted may have possibly stolen the entire two-show show. 
you've got new champions all over the place with Trevor Murdoch defeating his longtime rival Nick Aldis at NWA 73 to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in a very amazing and classy way. You have arguably the wrestler of the year, one of the wrestlers of the year, Alexander Hammerstone, not only defeating Contra, but also taking the MLW Heavyweight Championship away from the Samoan werewolf, Jacob Fatu. And you have what should have happened two years ago, Hangman Adam Page becoming the new AEW World Heavyweight Champion. And speaking of AEW, another fantastic match was Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa and their famous death match on TV. A lot to say here. And by the way, just as a late omission, I didn't get a chance to add them either, but um, we can also put the Lucha Brothers versus FTR in the cage match on AEW. Uh, I think it was Full Gear as a, one of them as well. So you've got four quality matches there. Two of them... I'm sorry, not four. Yeah, four quality... You got... If you want to include Lucha Brothers versus FTR, you've got eight quality match of the year candidate matches. You've got three title changes and you only have two from WWE. So if that again is an indictment about the state of professional wrestling or the state of WWE, well, it should be. And thinking long and hard about who I'm going to nominate for the match of the year, I, I, I almost hated to do it. And again, this is my own arbitrary musings, right? If you disagree, please let me know on the social media pages. Rollins and Cesaro was very good. Um, Trevor Murdoch versus Nick Aldis was very good. Uh, Okada versus Ibushi was different and good up until the injury. Uh, Hammerstone's victory was emotional and an amazing payoff for about a year, year and a half build. Again, Adam Page deserved it. He deserved to be the first one, but I won't rehash that anymore. He's finally AEW champion after all, uh, after uh, putting up with all the crap, with all the, the cowboy stuff and being the caretaker of the Dark Order and all that garbage. And I, I, I know, again, it's my bias. I, I hate to say it. I can't in good conscience give, in my estimation, a death match, a match of the year, even though it's probably the best match that Britt Baker's ever had in her life so far. I mean, we know Thunder Rosa's good. We know I'm a fan of Thunder Rosa. But Britt Baker really elevated herself with this match, which is something very hard to do in a death match. It's very hard to elevate yourself in a gimmick match. But... Um, but she was able to do it. But I, I have to. I just have to. I know. Um, call me a homer if you wish. But I'm going to go ahead and give the match of the year to the WWE and to Walter and Dragunov 2 specifically. Because the first match they had won, it was basically just Walter uh, beating the bejesus out of Dragunov. So Dragunov had a really nice uh, comeback in that first match. And... 
it looked like he could actually do it and built some hope only for Walter to uh, do Walter things and get uh, get the win in the end. But Dragunov 2 was a little different. Uh, Dragunov 2 actually showcased a lot more wrestling and 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 it looked like that Dragunov learned a couple of things from their first encounter with Walter that he hadn't learned in previous encounters. And yes, I know, I know Walter and Dragunov have fought each other before they came to the WWE and uh, Dragunov was an up-and-comer while Walter had been in the business for a while. Yeah, I understand that. But as far as the world stage, as far as what WWE wants to present to us, Walter versus Dragunov to me too, uh, was the best possible outcome. I think it was the best booked match. The match was clean from start to finish. Uh, the match had different twists. You could tell the Dragunov was a different person, a different man when he fought Walter the first time. You could tell there was a lot more psychology and a lot more wrestling going on, a lot more chain wrestling, a lot more uh, uh, crafty, skilled athleticism from Dragunov, uh, a lot of good spots. Nothing didn't make sense. Walter is a legit human being and very frightening. And if Walter, even though he's in his uh, uh, late 20s, early 30s, though, but if he ever wanted to uh, maybe cut about 10, 15 pounds and go train with uh, uh, a respectable MMA unit somewhere in the world uh, maybe go up there to holland to learn how to kickbox a little bit um, he could be ufc champion very easily but he has chosen violence and he's chosen the world of professional wrestling and we're all better for it so i'm giving walter and dragon off to the heel and face award for the match of the year excuse me uh i had to clear my throat there i didn't hit the uh proverbial dump button but it is what it is and it do what we do and we just move on to our next topic so the next topic is female wrestler of the year and this one was uh, this one was a fun choice because i believe a lot of the wrestlers here are up-and-comers and new to the game, you're going to see a few who um, are not. <laughs> you're going to see a few who have been this for a while and in controversial storylines or whatnot. But each woman that I nominated is there for their specific reason, their specific talent. So if you see the nominations or if you listen to the nominations, the nominees for the Heel and Face Award for female Wrestler of the Year are current WWE SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, current AEW Women's Champion Dr. Britt Baker, Roxy, the aforementioned nominee for Rookie of the Year, and Thunder Rosa, the winner of the Heel and Face Award for Feud of the Year. So let's break down what I saw in all these ladies. And, and by the way, I want to throw an honorable mention out there, too. I want to throw an honorable mention to The Hex, uh, Allison Kay, and Marty Bell, who were prominent in the uh, May Young Classic, which WWE should have again, but they're not going to because they're lames. Um, and two who have bounced around and really not found a niche. I mean, when Allison Kay was Sienna in TNA, she was pretty good there. 
And Marty Bell, again, kind of bounced around from place to place and floundered a little bit, but she really had something. She really had some talent. And when the two of them started becoming friends, they ended up coming up with the Hex, the tag team, and uh, they have not looked back, and they have looked probably uh, better than anyone could have imagined. So honorable mention to them, the current NWA Women's Tag Team Champions. But let's talk about all four of the females that I nominated for the female of the year. Charlotte Flair, amid tons of controversy this year concerning even the belt, she has been through it all. She's been through it, as the kids say. Everything from her personal life and how the WWE has treated her father, the great Ric Flair, and her personal romantic life, which I guess we're all supposed to care about, uh, the rumors that she and her fiancé Andrade have broken up, which apparently are 100% false if you've been checking Andrade's Twitter account. Um, he uh, basically said, this is what you're looking for, mommy, or whatever, and showed a picture of him working out of the gym flexing, and I think she reacted to it, so doesn't sound like they're broken up to me. Uh, but anyway, and that's, not, that's just her off-the-field issues, her on-the-field issues. We're talking about the... Work, shoot, work of the belt exchange, which I agree with her 100%. Um, WWE's got to stop doing the belt exchange thing. It's stupid. It makes your belts look cheap, and it makes people not care about them. And Charlotte was in her rights to voice that concern to deaf ears. Because let's be honest, uh, the woman she exchanged the belt with uh, has chosen to side with the boss and that's all I'm going to say about that. That's my hot take of this episode. You got Bianca Belair, who is just killing it everywhere she goes and everything she does. Uh, she had an amazing year, an amazing run as Raw or as a Women's SmackDown champion, uh, especially winning at WrestleMania, which was a little shocked. I didn't think she was going to do it. I didn't think it was going to be her time yet. Um, but uh, she figured it out, and she she was given the ball. She ran with it, and everybody loves her. And she just keeps getting better every every day. I talked briefly about Britt Baker and how she's been elevating herself steadily throughout the year, even capturing the AEW Women's Championship belt. So I think she's peaking at the right time. And for somebody who was relatively klutzy and didn't really know what she was doing in the ring, and they didn't know if they wanted to make her a heel or a face, for her to go full full heel and then and then her personality kind of uh, carried her ring ability with her. I think she got more confident the more she settled into the heel role. I think that all of the good things that happened to her over the year. And then getting to prove your worth, her worth in the death match, which again, I only can watch about three or four a year. And it's not my cup of tea, but I don't hate on it so much. I know, like I said, I can't in good conscience give a death match. A, uh, a match of the year award, but I can at least recognize when it was a good match and the fact that Britt Baker elevated herself against a very good opponent. And that also speaks to Thunder Rosa as well. So, And speaking of Thunder Rosa, not only was she nominated for uh, match of the year with Britt Baker and the amazing job that they both did on that, but the fact that she won the feud of the year to keep herself relevant, Thunder Rosa is pretty much the super indie darling Right now, she can go anywhere and do anything. She runs her own promotion. Uh, she has an open contract. She can wrestle wherever she wants. 
and she's very good wherever she goes. She's always consistently good. Uh, I enjoy following her on the Facebook and all of her social media. She's very good at promoting herself that way. So she's got it figured out. Oh, and by the way, she's bilingual. And yeah, she does, does still kind of struggle with English, uh, but uh, that doesn't uh, make her less entertaining or less worthy to be nominated for Female Wrestler of the Year because she has really been killing it everywhere she goes. And let's not forget of Roxy, who I felt like needed to be in the female category as well because of her work and her stratospheric rise throughout the past year in professional wrestling. So who is the female wrestler of the year? Well, again, after quite a bit of deliberation and thought and who did what and who really shined, the person, the female wrestler who on a consistent basis on the highest level she could possibly be at right now and winning the belt for said promotion. I had no choice but to feature the female of the year is none other than Tony Schiavone's favorite wrestler and best friend, Dr. Britt Baker, D.M.D. I feel like over the last year, she's been the most consistently good. And like I said, She's really elevated herself, not just with the death match, but also winning the belt and carrying it. And now she's carrying the division. She went from arguably one of the worst wrestlers in one of the worst divisions in all of professional wrestling. And don't get it twisted. I'm not jumping jacks. I'm not doing cartwheels. I'm not uh, jumping over the moon over AEW's women's division just yet. Uh, not if people like Sheeta and Nyla Rose and others uh, are still in, involved in, in, in the division. Um, not, not when uh, Anna Jay is uh, wasting her time double-legging uh, goobers on uh, YouTube when she could be featured in the top. Now, I will say this for the AEW's division. It is getting a little better with Ruby Soho, who hasn't quite found her groove yet, but is getting close. Uh, and uh, and Chris Statletter, who's back. And, and, and from all accounts, I haven't watched the matches lately, but from all accounts, uh, Chris Statletter's doing, doing way better. But it's not about them, and it's not about the promotion itself. It's about the woman who consistently elevated herself, who consistently had good matches, and consistently got better through the entirety of the last year. So congratulations to Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, for winning the Heel and Face Award for the Female Wrestler of the Year. There's no cash prizes available. You're just the envy of all your friends. And speaking of friends, we've had friends groups broken up because of WWE's releases and their stupidly ridiculous uh, talent policy but wwe's loss is everyone else's gain because the male wrestlers of the year have thrived despite or some of them anyway have thrived despite either being released by wwe or never having been in wwe ever and as soon as i can there we go as soon as i can get this all to load up i will show you who I nominated for Male Wrestlers of the Year. 
It was a diverse group and a fun group in the sense that many people of this group have never been champion or they are a first time. So shout out to everybody's first time winning a belt. The nominees for the Heel and Face Award for Male Wrestler of the Year, current AEW Heavyweight Champion Hangman Adam Page, current NWA World Champion Trevor Murdoch, current AE or WWE uh, Universal Champion, the head of the table, the big dog, the bloodline, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, current WWE Heavyweight Champion, Big E, and current MLW Heavyweight Champion, Alexander Hammerstone. All of these men had uh, faced extreme adversity to win the belt this year, except for Roman Reigns, who's been hanging on to the belt uh, with gr like grim death for the majority of the year. I believe he passed CM Punk as total days as champion. But other than that, everybody has an interesting story. And uh, I'm not saying that Roman Reigns is an interesting story. He actually has had interesting uh, storylines throughout the whole year this year. Uh, so I wanted to add him because of his dominance and also because he's been able to keep his storyline continually fresh and good despite the drivel that uh, the rest of the WWE has. And I believe he's one of the few that's allowed to basically write his own stories. And he's got Paul Heyman to, to be there. And, and he's surrounding himself by uh, uh, intelligent people. So the fact is that he's consistently good despite the opposite of what I'm about to say for the other men that have been nominated, uh, deserved for Roman Reigns to be nominated in this category. Uh, but the other men that have won have won the championship for the first time. You've got Trevor Murdoch, who could also qualify for comeback of the year if I had that category. And I might make that category next year. Trevor Murdoch, who was just fine back home at his construction job, owning his own business, being a dad, working in construction. He was fine where he was until apparently about a year or two ago, he got the itch. Then he started talking to doctors to see if he'd be okay, et cetera, et cetera. And now two years later, he, despite being let go by WWE, et cetera, et cetera, is, has lived past his wildest dreams and very fortunate to be a champion in a, uh, in a, in a promotion that his father, uh, Dick Murdoch helped build. You've got Big E, who also has achieved the goal of a lifetime to be WWE champion, and not only doing it, but as uh, LL Cool J would say, do it well. He has represented his time as WWE champion amazingly. He's been such a good champion, holding off every challenge, being uh, you know being the new day ish when he needs to be, but also being his own man when he needs to be, being clever and cute with the jokes one minute, the next minute, being a a, a highly trained professional killer the next. So uh, a lot of praise for Big E and his character development and his run with the WWE Heavyweight Championship. 
Alex Hammerstone, someone who could definitely be in the WWE, but I really hope he never does because they probably won't know what to do with him, who battled adversity, fighting against Contra, fighting against uh, all comers in uh, his time as MLW Openweight Champion and openly feuding with the former champion, last year's Heel and Face Award Wrestler of the Year, Man of the Year, Male of the Year, end up to take that man's belt from him and become dual champion as the open weight champion and the MLW World Heavyweight Champion. However, an injury that he suffered in that match against Fatu caused him to have to relinquish the open belt and concentrate fully on the World Heavyweight Championship belt, a belt that he pursued and a belt that he worked hard for and a belt that he deserves. And speaking of somebody waiting a long time for something they deserve, Adam Page finally winning the AEW World Heavyweight belt, which is something that also was a long time coming to and something somebody that I've already spent a lot of time talking about, so I don't want to rehash. I just want to give him the award. The winner of the Heel and Face podcast, Male Wrestler of the Year, is Hangman Adam Page. And I don't think, you know, uh, th this was a tough one. I don't think this was a very easy choice for me. All five of those men that I nominated had very compelling reasons to be uh, wrestler of the year. And yet Adam Page, I think, along with putting up with all of the stuff that he had to put up with, the drunken cowboy stuff and 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 the, the crazy direction of his character. And, you know, is he a tweener? Is he a heel? Is he a face? Because it matters on this show. Check out the brand. It matters on this show. And, and everything that he's put up with and all the stuff that he does and how cool he is as a person, how he donates to charity all the time, how he's always uh, donating something for education, whether it's, uh, you know, buying a library, new books or or buying uh, something for his old school where he used to teach uh, journalism and English to, you know, just about everything that he does. He deserves to be this year's heel and face award winner for male of the year. AEW has been a lot on people's minds. It has been doing a lot in the public eye. And honestly, in a lot of ways, uh, it has positioned itself to become the number one promotion in the in, in the in North America. And I'm not sure about the entire world, but at least in North America. But Steve, you say, there are other promotions, too, that did a fine job. Yes. And I didn't, again, mention, but NWA uh, did a fantastic job um, kind of reconnoitering and having a vision. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what you can do when you have a leader who has a vision for what you want to do. Uh, it's a very rarity in, in these days that you have a completely competent CEO who sees what it's going to be and responds accordingly. Uh, and yet here we are. And no, even though I did not mention the NWA, I do have love for them. So shout out to the NWA for what they've done. But really, four promotions to me stood out throughout the year by um, either uh, getting noticed or continuing on with the product, making it something that uh, it's not uh, or pivoting and changing it uh, to bring it more legitimacy. 
And I only mention WWE just because they're the standard bearer, right? For good or ill, they are the standard bearer in the world, not just in this country. But the four promotions that I would like to nominate for the Heel and Face Award are All Elite Wrestling, Major League Wrestling, Impact Wrestling, and World Wrestling Entertainment. I wonder, you're probably wondering, why mention Impact? Well, there was a lot of criticism about Impact, especially earlier this year with the whole belt collector and what was Don Callis's true intention with a with a Impact. And uh, no surprise to anyone, Don Callis uh, tried to use Impact for his own personal reasons, including making sure that his good friend, uh, uh, Kenny Omega, would become champion. But I don't think that AE or uh, Impact uh, felt that they were done because of it. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of hey, they used us, they played us for fools, they made us look stupid. But honestly, they were uh, very quickly able to turn it around, uh, disassociating themselves from Tommy Dreamer for his ridiculous remarks about uh, about the uh, dark side of the ring plane ride from hell incident. But Impact has been quietly and consistently putting together good shows and good pay-per-views despite the attempt of Kenny Omega and Don Callis to, to take over the company and turn it into AEW's developmental uh, developmental promotion. And speaking of AEW, for ill or will, they have been positioning themselves to become the number one promotion in – excuse me, need a drink of water – in North America – MLW has been consistently giving us quality entertainment with wrestlers who are not necessarily on the radar. I'm not talking about what AEW does with just signing like anybody who has a name on the independent scene. I'm talking about people that they can legitimately believe in, either with veterans that have been around for a while and haven't been able to fit the mold or fit a niche like TJP, to having one of the best comebacks not named CM Punk this year with Davey Richards to having an open contract policy where it doesn't matter where you work, you can work here. So it allows people like Bobby Fish to work uh, in, in AEW. It allows people like uh, Tom Lawler to go work in New Japan for a while. So uh, the, I like the structure. I like what's going on with MLW. They are providing right now, I feel, the, some of the most realistic, basically based wrestling. If, if you want to call any promotion based then MLW would be the most based pro wrestling promotion in the world right now. You've got WWE. Um, and again, just because you're uh, up here doesn't mean you're doing great things. Uh, there's the famous story about uh, when a reporter asked uh, Pope John Paul, now St. John Paul the Great, uh, how he felt about being man of the year in Time Magazine. And of course, because John Paul II was very quick-witted and had a good sense of humor, he turned right around and said, "Well, wait a minute, you guys nominated Hitler for Time of the Year, Time Man of the Year too. So, uh, what does that mean? Uh, just because WWE is in this category of promotion of the year doesn't mean that whatever they were doing was great. It's just an indictment of how terrible they are and and where the direction is going. And I do not expect WWE to be." on the list for promotion of the year for next year. So let's see, without further ado, 
who I nominated for promotion of the year. It is the one that has done the most damage, the one that has been the biggest mover in the shaker, the one that has completely pivoted by from hiring everybody who used to work in PWG to actually bringing legitimate stars to make the content more palatable and more realistic. I am talking about AEW All Elite Wrestling. Yes, I gave them the award. I gave them credit. Not bad for somebody who's been traditionally an AEW hater, right? Apparently. That's what I am. That's what I do. But not today. AEW has put together a roster that WWE should have put together uh, minus the Dark Order, let's be honest. I think they're done with giving friends of the Young Bucks a job randomly. I think they're done with plucking random uh, mid-carters from PWG and New Japan and people no one ever has heard of before and uh, hiring a female wrestler because she was in a girl pop band in Japan that Kenny Omega listened to. They've gone and taken a huge leap from that and signed arguably the best talent not in WWE or straight from WWE. Of course, the biggest comeback of the year was CM Punk, and it looks like he hasn't missed a step, so good for him that he has at least been training, at least he's been smart enough to train. But then again, we've always known CM Punk to be very astute, very smart anyway. And of course, Daniel Bryan, uh, now he's back to murdering people for real. And uh, I don't even think he does the safe running uh, drop kick into the corner bump like he did in WWE. I think he just basically just throws himself at uh, you know at his opponent. And I mean, at least now if he paralyzes himself, it'll be on someone else's dime. But then you've got the signees that no one's really talking about. Um, uh, you've got, oh shoot, I'm so sorry. It, it, it's, it's blanking right now. Um, you know, some, some wrestlers who are good and not, I guess, fully ensconced all the way in uh, w, uh, AEW. I mean, there's still some, I don't know. There's there's still there's still a little bit of hokiness. There's still a little bit of goofiness that kind of rubs off on you when you get to AEW. Um, Adam Cole, for example. There you go. That's my example. Adam Cole, for example. Adam Cole was, uh, for all intents and purposes in WWE, was a, consider- a, a, a serious, legitimate professional wrestler. And now he's kind of, you know, getting smooched by his best friends and doing all that silly stuff too. So for all the goofy stuff that they do, again, uh, you know, Anna Jay should be, um, should have a rocket strapped on her back and shooting to the top of the AEW women's division, but she has to uh, double leg a guy who barely gets on rampage uh, in a dark match uh, right by the pop machine. Um, But all of that, uh, is superseded by the things that they're doing well right now. They are definitely positive interactions with the talent. Uh, they've kind of pulled the reins back of hiring everybody off the street, especially everybody who just got fired from WWE, pulling back those reins off the street. Uh, now, could they be better? Um, you know, letting Miz 
I'm sorry, let, letting Punk cut the promo. Basically, he cut a promo not just on MJF, but he also cut a promo on Miz at the same time. CM Punk is that good. Um, pulling back on on uh, on just hiring everybody who gets released by WWE. But at the same time, too, uh, also not being afraid to promote the big matches. And honestly, from what I read even today, in, um, being able to work with WWE on different projects, like allowing certain wrestlers, certain contracted wrestlers to go back to uh, WWE headquarters to uh, give their thoughts on uh, on uh, documentaries WWE wants to put together. So Tony Khan is killing it despite himself, and he's not letting the stresses of running a professional football team or a professional American football team and a full-time, legit professional wrestling promotion get to him. He... Uh, you know, even though despite he could probably stay off Twitter, uh, he should probably stay off Twitter, but yet he's there. Um, and then, uh, you know, t- but then again, on the other side, he talks about how nice it is, how the WWE treated him with respect and and he treated them with respect. And so uh, Tony Khan, again, laughably nominated as Booker of the Year by an aforementioned uh, journalist. But... At least what he's doing with his company by pivoting and by focusing on the talented wrestlers that they have is giving an air that he might know what he's doing. He might be able to figure it out after all. Also, coupling the fact that some of the best matches themselves are on AEW. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. Both Lucha Brothers matches. This is why they won the Tag Team of the Year. Uh, even the stuff that CM, CM Punk's finally getting to where he needed to be, even though he was languishing. Yes, he should have taken on Darby Allen. Yeah, that's a given. We know that. That could have been stretched out long, late for later. But, you know, CM, to go from Darby Allen to Kofi Kingston, you know, didn't really move the needle, so to speak. Co- uh, I, I'm sorry, Kofi Kingston. I apologize. Eddie Kingston. To go from. Uh, uh, Darby Allen to Eddie Kingston at that kind of a pace within your first four months of the comp- being in the company and now finally setting in to a few that you should have settled in at first. Uh, you know, that's that's just a problem with booking. That's a problem with uh, planning things out backstage and seeing what should happen and whose feud is doing what. Um, you know, but then again, they also have, have uh, still the loyal following. They still let MJF do what he needs to do. And they really are positioning themselves to be one of the best, if not the best promotion of this year and years to come. So from an AEW hater, from somebody who apparently hates AEW, I'm giving them the Heel and Face Award for promotion of the year. And it's not even because I hate them either. I don't really hate them. I actually want them to be successful. I really do. It's like CM Punk talking to John Cena. You know, ergo the uh, the pipe bomb era of CM Punk. I don't hate you, John. I actually like you, John. I don't hate you, AEW. I actually kind of like you, AEW. I just hate the fact that you are now the standard bearer for what professional wrestling is and what this this wrestling thing considers to be the best. Or I butchered that, but you get the idea. But congratulations to AEW. I see nothing but positivity, and I see them taking off and being even better next year if that's 
possible. So good for AEW and good for you for keeping with me on the Heel and Face podcast, the podcast dedicated to news, information, commentary, and editorialism on the world of professional wrestling brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. And thank you for joining me for the Heel and Face Awards. Again, I want to remind you that if you disagree or if you agree, if you like the show, you don't like the show, leave a comment anyway. That way I'll know you're out there. But if you disagree with any of my choices on any of the winners that I selected arbitrarily with my knowledge of what happened this year, you can make a case for yourself in the comment section. You can make a case for yourself on any of my social media pages. All you need to do, go to your favorite social media website, wherever it is. If it's not Facebook, if you can't join me on Facebook, join me on Rumble, join me on Minds, join me on Twitter, join me wherever you want to go as long as you type Heel and Face Podcast. And just like Michael Jackson sang when he was 11 years old, I'll be there. Just go ahead. Or if you, again, cannot join me live or cannot join me on social media, you can definitely access the audio version of this show on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thanks for being here. Uh, Even though it was really a depressing year all around as far as releases and as far as how WWE is becoming too corporate, even for WWE standards, and how they're being uh, interestingly hypocritical as far as Uh, who they're keeping and who they're not keeping and what they're doing, what direction they're going with the company. It was still a really uh, uh, fun year to be a professional wrestling fan. I hope you had fun. I hope you had fun listening to my show and I hope you had fun watching professional wrestling. I don't know what the next two weeks are going to be like. Uh, They should be fun. I am trying to get the boys on to the turnbuckle to collab with me for a show. I think that would be a lot of fun. I think uh, the bruiser and I will probably go back and forth on what AEW is and what it isn't. And I think he might actually be shocked to know that I have a very favorable opinion of his favorite promotion right now. Uh, It'll be fun to talk um, to the boys about their opinions and just kind of chop it up with them, as as the kids say. So that would be a lot of fun. But I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it won't. Uh, I, I, no, I hope it will. It might not. Who knows? Um, I'm looking into doing a lot of other cool stuff with the podcast this year. I'm definitely going to be checking out more indie shows like I made the uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, but we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about what you might expect as a fan of this podcast in the next couple of weeks. But for right now, we're just going to take off. We're just going to go. We're just going to sign out. For now, thanks for joining me on the Heel and Face podcast, brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Have a great week, and as always, peace. Peace.